Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. We get more excited when someone in our workplace, our boss, our company, IPOs or our boss becomes famous and we get more excited about bragging about that than we do about Jesus Christ. We're scared to share the gospel. We'll talk to our blue in the face about, oh yeah, I know that guy. I met that guy once. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. Communion should be a part of our culture as well as believers. Partaking of this most holy of meals identifies the participants with the body and blood, that is the death and sacrifice of Christ and all that entails in terms of privileges and blessings for the believer. In the same way, in the Old Testament, those who participated in the Passover meal shared in the benefits of the Passover sacrifice. In the very first Passover, remember this, where the angel of death literally passed over the homes of the Israelites in Egypt in Exodus twelve twenty-seven. Those who participated in the Passover meal, their lives were spared. Their firstborn were not killed. The angel of death passed over their home. And just as we do with communion today, in Deuteronomy 16.3, the Israelites were told that they were to sacrifice the Passover to the Lord so that they would remember for the rest of their lives the day they were delivered from Egypt. This was an ongoing celebration that they were to participate in just as we take communion to remember the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jews still do this. I have atheist Jewish by ethnicity friends that still celebrate the Passover meal because it is just part of their culture now. Obviously, for more significant reasons, communion should be a part of our culture as well as believers to remember what was done for us. All of this foreshadowing, remember the word type and typology, the ultimate and permanent Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. So just as the freed Jews were to remember and participate in the blessings of that first Passover when their lives were spared and freed, so we remember and participate in the blessings of Christ's sacrifice when our lives were spared and freed, not physically, but spiritually. 
our identification as believers is tied up in what Christ has done and has done for us. Another way of putting that is our lives are tied up in the gospel. And it is symbolized in this meal. We don't have an actual meal, but I'm referring to the bread and the juice. Now, Paul goes on in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 10 to tell us that there's more to this. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. I think most Christians are familiar with the identification with Christ in communion. But what Paul is saying here is that communion also identifies us with each other. Which, when you understand the body of Christ and the church, is redundant. To be identified with Christ means to be identified with the body of Christ. There is nowhere in Scripture where it says you can just be a Christian on your own and have nothing to do with other believers with the local church, with the universal church. You might have heard the term Lone Ranger Christianity. There's no such thing. You can't do it. Or if you try, it is unbiblical. There's a reason Christ created the church. There's a reason He sent out the disciples to establish churches everywhere. It was so that they could live out their unity in Jesus Christ and unity with one another. And if you have any idea what I'm talking about, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. There are many markers of fellowship, and one of the most significant is participating in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The Lord's table brings us together as a unique community of God's chosen. I mean, think about it. No one else does this. This is unique to us. There are many unbelievers who will go to church, visit churches, Christmas, Easter, go with family, go for some, a wedding or a special celebration, something like that. Right? There are unbelievers who hang out together in groups. There are atheists who study the Bible. Well, one of the markers that makes us unique in terms of what we do that the world can see within our society is taking communi- communion together. It brings us together as a unique community of God's chosen. Because not only do we do it together, and not only does no one else do it, but only do Christians understand the significance of what it is and have the reality of what that symbolizes in our hearts and in our lives. The connection to the bread is that it is in His death and resurrection that the church was established. We exist because of what we remember in communion. Paul says, though there are many of us, we all make up a singular body, the body of Christ. Now, back in Exodus 12, the Passover, God declared that all the Israelites were to participate in the Passover. And to make sure they did, there was threat of death if they weren't passed over. And God says to Moses, there are to be no exceptions. Everyone must do this. This Passover was a common experience for the nation that unified them in a unique and holy way. And even that first Passover that was to be celebrated year after year, God said every Israelite had to do that as well. Again, this common experience that united them as God's people. So too, 
again, in taking communion, we are all unified in a unique and holy way when we participate in communion. When we talk about fellowship, right, we talk about that a lot. We have fellowship with one another. It simply means, if you look at the, just the definition of the word, it simply means we have something in common. Now, you probably wouldn't do this, but you could technically use the word to speak of anything that binds two or more people together, any common interest, the same home team, an ethnicity, a cycling club, whatever it is. Now, we understand in the Scripture's context, we mean fellowship in Christ. And there is nothing as special or unique as participation in the cross of Christ. We are social beings. There is a need for social interaction to some degree. God created us this way. You say, no, no, I, I, don't, I can't stand people. That's sin. That's not being an introvert. Okay? Don't excuse your pride and your anger or whatever it is as being an introvert. God created us to be social. God created us to have friends, to have the church, to have the nation Israel back then. God created us for many of us to be married, to have that interaction. And so, how much more? Is it a blessing to have fellowship with the church? Secular society strives to find commonality in something because they too are social beings. They want to find some way to, quote, fellowship, if we could put it that way even if, if it's a form of immorality or sin. They just want to find something in common with other people. And when you understand that, that that is a common theme of all humanity, how much more is our fellowship special because we are united in a way that is only possible in the very one who made us social beings? And you can think and conclude, rightly so, that He made us social beings so we would find our commonality in Him, not in immorality or some mundane worldly thing, fellowship in Christ, in God. So not only does communion equate to fellowship with Christ, as we saw earlier, communion equates to fellowship with one another. And in both of those, The stress on the blood of Christ highlights the seriousness of these relationships. It's not just, oh, I go to the same church. Oh, yeah, we're we're both evangelical. We're both Protestant. No. You're both recipients of the benefits of the blood of Jesus Christ. That should change our perspective of how we treat other believers, how we view them. You say, blood is thicker than water. Well, Christ's blood is thicker than all other blood in that analogy. It should be like glue. It's so thick to bind us together. Do this in remembrance of me. What? The body and blood, my sacrifice. Christ did not institute a remembrance of His parables. He didn't say, remember my miracles, that we would live them out and participate in them. He instituted a remembrance of His death. 
Not only because it's a source of who we are, but also because he's talking about a covenantal relationship that we have with him. Not just you, not just me, all of us together. From the very beginning, God established blood as the means of sealing a deal, a covenant, a contract. The Abrahamic covenant, a goat, a ram, and a heifer were all sliced in half, spilling their blood to establish God's covenant with Abraham. In Exodus 24, Moses recounts all of God's words and all of God's ordinances that he heard up on the mountain to the people, to God's people. And in Exodus 24, they all respond, and I quote, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Their eventual eventual failure aside, this was not enough. It wasn't just enough that God spoke through Moses and that the people responded. Blood had to be spilt. Sacrifices were brought. And we read that half of the blood was put in basins and the other half was sprinkled on the altar. Why was half put on basins? Because then they took that blood and sprinkled it, try to visualize, on the people, blattered with animal blood to enact, to sign the covenant with God and His people. It was then, after it was sprinkled on the altar and the people, bringing in both parties, that Moses declares in Exodus 24, 8, Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. We've already seen this. This is the new covenant in my blood. Blood was spilt to seal a new covenant, the new covenant. Would you turn quickly with me to Hebrews chapter 9? Hebrews chapter 9, I'm going to read a large section here, verses 11 through 21, to speak, that speaks of this very reality. And if you're familiar with Hebrews, you know it brings up a lot of Jewish Old Testament illustrations and references which really helps us bring all of this together. Hebrews 9, 11 through 21. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 15, For this reason He is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. 
For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, we just saw this, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. We no longer need to do this because it has been done in Jesus Christ. And not figuratively, my friends, he literally shed his blood for the covenant. Speaking of Israel, Paul goes back to appeal to them. Back in our passage in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 18, he says, look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? So again, he's just highlighting the same point. Though they were not permanent as Christ is, the sacrifices that the Israelites offered brought them into a spiritual participation in the altar. And if you read back there in how the sacrifices were to be made, part of the offering was offered to God. The priests got a part, remember, they weren't paid, and so this is how they sustained themselves. And then the person who brought the offering got a part. And the Old Testament Scriptures make very clear that any Israelite who refused to eat of the sacrifice would be separating himself from the altar of the Lord, which meant separating himself from everything the altar represented. Just as communion does for us, so the altar made Israel different than all the other nations. It made them unique and exclusive in that they were God's people participating in God's sacrifice. And when you want nothing to do with it, and if you refuse to participate, then you're saying, I don't want anything to do with what this represents. And it represents not just the sacrifice of Christ, but our identity with each other, the church. And the point that Paul is making in all of this is not so much the uniqueness of the body of Christ, but the intimacy, the intimacy that these seemingly simple elements of a meal bring. Intimacy with Christ, yes, of course, but also with each other. We need to take communion seriously. Our common bond is in the seriousness of what this means and what this has made us, who we are, how we are to treat one another in Christ because of His blood. So what does this mean for the Christian who partakes of the temple meal in an idol's temple? We'll talk about that next week, but to give you a clue, it's not good. We read the passage. If you haven't read it before, it been some time as we read it this morning, it probably struck you. You're looking at everything we've seen in the past weeks, and maybe you're thinking, yeah, he's going to say, don't do this. It's not good. He's going to talk about causing people to stumble again. He's going to talk about just being pure. And then you read, oh, did he just say demons? Yes, he just said demons and not just once. If participation in communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's meal, means participation in Jesus Christ and one another, then what does participation in an idol's temple mean? And I remind you, these guys are not worshiping that idol. They're just going because they were invited to a party, which happens to be at the idol's temple, the banquet hall, 
Where else would you have a big party? You go to an idol's temple. You don't go to the church. They didn't have big churches back then. It was just someone's house. So you go there. Sure, it's the meat that they just sacrificed, but I didn't sacrifice it. I didn't go to their worship service. I know Aphrodite is nothing. Zeus is nothing. I'm just eating the meal, and it's always a good meal because they have to bring an unblemished animal. I'm just going to the after party. And Paul says, demons. And I don't want to lose sight of the actual context, which is idolatry, but in the broader context, we're talking about gray areas. We're talking about, as we saw in 1013, any temptation, any sort of sin. So we understand the flee. We understand the identification. Don't participate in any way. Flee that situation, that person, that whatever that is causing you to sin. Don't flirt with it. Don't play with it. Don't participate with the harlot, as Proverbs calls her. You know, you you read Proverbs and it says, avoid the adulteress, avoid the harlot, right? Right? She's crying your name out in the streets. And yes, there was a, a reference to actual prostitution and harlotry out there where people would be calling you in and try to tempt you into their home. But you can loosely translate this to anyone who's not your spouse that would sleep with you. It could be your coworker, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your ex, whatever. Don't play around with this stuff. Don't say, well, I know it's not, I'm not even going to engage with them. I'm not going to talk to them. But, man, I'm really curious what my ex-girlfriend looks like now. And you look her up on Facebook. Don't do that. I'm just going to call them. I know I'm upset, but I'm going to. Don't call them. I know, you know, I, I know I get angry and frustrated when I come home and, and I, I, I look at all of our bank accounts on the website and I get frustrated and I worry and I, I distrust God every time I go there. But you, you want to go on a date, let's just, let's just go to the dealership and check out the cars. We're not, obviously, we're not going to buy anything. Just want to look. Don't go there. Don't do it. Stop playing around. Because when we talk about the outworking of this in our day and age, Sure, there's the possibility of eating at an idol's temple, thereby partaking of some form of their idolatry. But the danger of this intimate connection with the world and its false gods, namely things like self, money, and success, immorality, becomes very clear. We must maintain and relish in our fellowship with Christ and each other rather than dabbling with intimacy with the world and the things therein. Whom do you want to be identified with? Jesus Christ and other believers or the cool unbeliever? The rich guy. We buy certain things to be identified, hopefully, with certain individuals. We get more excited when someone in our workplace, our boss, our company, IPOs or our boss becomes famous, and we get more excited about bragging about that than we do about Jesus Christ. We're scared to share the gospel. We'll talk till we're blue in the face about, oh, yeah, I know that guy. I met that guy once. Oh, man, this was bad when I lived in Los Angeles. If someone was the personal assistant to an A-list celebrity, you would know it because that's the first thing they bring up. Oh, he treats me like trash. In fact, I'm on the way to drop off his urine sample to the doctor. But you know what? I'm his personal assistant. So that's, what they, that's what the world 
is interested in. This is what the world wants to brag about, and friends, this is what we want to brag about sometimes. We need to be careful. I get it these days with all the bad press so many supposed Christians are getting. We want to disassociate from them, but forget all the noise. Are you identifying with Christ and His people? Is communion just a thing you do? Or do you understand and agree with the representation that you are identifying with the death of Christ and with all those who are seated around you and all those around the world proclaiming the name of Christ regardless of what they're doing? You are identifying with those who are purchased and have committed their lives to the blood and person of Jesus Christ. The weight of that identification must be represented in your heart and mind by the weight of the Lord's table. And again, even if you don't take it, this identification is yours. This is who you are. And of course, he's setting all of this up to talk about the danger of taking the Lord's table one day and then at that evening taken of the idol's table. More next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much that we are not only identified with each other and with You, but that we reminded of that every time we take communion. Father, I pray that this would help us to understand the symbolism but also the significance of the symbolism of what we do, that we would not take such things lightly. I pray that you would help us to work out in truth, with word and deed, our identification in you and our identification with others, everyone in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live-streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org.